This is Mind Raid. Alright guys, thanks for coming to MindGrade. Uh, this is episode like six, I think now. I've lost track because I've recorded uh, a lot of them in the last week. I have with me uh, a dear friend of mine, a uh, former UFC veteran, now serving on the uh, Cedar Rapids Fire Department. Uh, one of the original hybrid Faction 5 that people will come to know in the, these episodes as they drop. Uh, Jesse, thank you for coming in. Uh, we je we already had good conversation before this even went down. I appreciate you coming in and uh, thank you. It's great having you on the show. Yeah. Thanks uh, for having me. And uh, um, it's really an honor to be here and talk to you. And um, and, this, pe and peer over the yes. <laughs> this uh, what we got into has really evolved into something amazing, and so mm -hmm. it's good to come back and still be a part of it and uh, be asked to be a part of it. So thank you. Absolutely, man. Um, this is this is all part of the plan from the beginning. <laughs> I saw all this stuff. No. Um, Jesse, what I wanted to start the show off, and this is kind of what I talked with Devin and Bo about, was who was the Jesse Lennox that uh, showed up to train day one and uh, uh, paint a picture for me of who you were because I was – I still feel like I was a kid at that point in time. That was so long ago. Um, who were you then? What was your experience in martial arts or sports? And what brought you to the, the basement on that fateful night? Hmm. Um, good question. So um, you, you can't really understand where we're at right now unless you truly get where the beginning started. Mm -hmm. And I was a farm boy. And so... Grew up on a farm, only child for like 14 years. It was primarily just uh, my dad and I. And uh, and he is, uh, I get a lot of qualities from him. He's a stoic dude. And he never like spoke of stoicism or anything like that. But he, just how he lives his life, he's very logical, thoughtful. He worked for today to benefit the family tomorrow. And everything he did was, um, he would make decisions without emotion he was very very logical <laughs> and um, wow really yeah. okay <clears throat> so um and it was again only child so it was him and me and him sitting across the dinner table and he's not really a talkative dude and so but when he talked you listened however uh you know we had a lot of quiet times out there on the farm with the animals you know just chilling so <laughs> And, you know, you think you're helping out on the farm and you think you're doing all this, but I was really just hanging out with him. And so just kind of watching him, seeing how he went through, how he processed stuff. And, uh, um, and then uh, as far as going back to uh, upbringing, my mom was the uh, a little bit different than that. She was the life of the party. Like mm -hmm. she was she was a ton of fun. She was um, you knew it five seconds before she entered the room that she was here and she always 
and she would always be if she's not having the time of her life right now then mm-hmm. she needs to do something wrong like she's doing something she needs to change something and so she was always living for the moment and so the dichotomy of that or the differences between right. those two parents yeah um you said earlier about um your parents opposites attract you yeah. know and so that it was truly a i wouldn't say you know it was balanced but it was definitely different um mm-hmm. in, in parental strategies there and so it was it's easy to uh draw back on okay i did this and i probably pulled that from dad and okay uh, i did that and i probably pulled that a little bit more from mom so um yeah i had balance and um everyone says like you they got a, a different way of saying it but uh you pay for your raising when the razor is you like my dad got dealt some bad cards i was a wild animal he was a good kid <laughs> <laughs> So, um, he needed something for me to do and he got me into wrestling and did that. And through that, I was not a stud wrestler, but, um, liked it, enjoyed it. Uh, at the time I didn't have, when the going got tough, I wasn't the kid to like, when I was better than another wrestler, I would do well. But when, uh, a wrestling match got tough, that's when I would just auger in. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't have that good positive self-talk. Okay. And I don't think you can find that uh, without failure. I don't. I, I don't think anyone's ingrained with positive self-talk. Maybe they are, but um, when the going gets tough, though, you, you don't yeah. build resiliency without struggle, and you don't have um, the grind without failure, or without things to really remind you of uh, the failures and how to avoid those failures in the future. And so, anytime you do something. And you invest a lot of time into it. And then the last time you compete in it, it's a failure. It's a loss. Mm-hmm. Kind of eats at you a little bit. Yeah. You know? Kind of, you, you remember that. There's no way to, uh, there's so many people out there that have an athletic career or a high school career or whatever. And then it didn't in the way they want to. And then that it still bugs them right now. I bet there's a lot of people listening to this that can. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. um, and not to branch off too wild, but do you think that ego is, um, just as necessary as it is undesirable sometimes like you need to have ego to want to win again to or or, uh, what do you think about that because i feel like we remember when we first started training it was leave your ego at the door we knew Mm -hmm. right away Mm -hmm. what it took to improve and it wasn't insisting that you always want or putting Mm -hmm. yourself in the comfortable situations Mm -hmm. but um i've heard people kind of credit at least a small healthy amount of ego to keeping them pushing forward believing in themselves would you agree with that or it's a good question really um and there's no there's no black white way to answer that yeah but yes you need ebb and flow like you need yin and yang you need balance and they're without ego at all um you're gonna get walked on and willingly too right like it's not a big deal (laughs) and uh with too much ego you get uh, you know drunk on your own kool-aid delusional uh, yeah yeah, you just uh i'm doing i'm surrounding myself with yes men yes and they're telling me how great i am and i am doing the right thing and this guy over here says i need to focus on that but uh, yeah you know he's you know the canary in the mine right (laughs) it's just like hey you got to watch out yeah Um, so um, so you were wrestling um, for Northland, mm-hmm. and you were good. Um, you would say that you, you choked when it mattered. You told me that in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you were still fundamentally pretty sound, uh, as I recall, because the first day you came in, you became the wrestling coach at Hyper <laughs> Combat Club. But you also boxed. 
Yeah, and that was a huge life lesson. <laughs> I'm so glad that happened uh, miserably. Uh, so after high school, wanted to do something, uh, either an athletic trainer or I wanted to be a firefighter. And mm-hmm. so both of those kind of involved health. So I started working at a health club and going to Kirkwood and working at this gym. And again, being alone uh, or an only child for 14 years, I didn't really have a good way to talk to people. So that really helped me learn to talk to people and have a 30 second conversation with a random stranger and check them into the gym and show them the place. And, um, that helped, uh, progress me, um, there. And, uh, there's so many people that would come through that door, um, similar to like an MMA gym. You know, there's just so many people that you learn their faces and they're the regulars. And then there's new people that you see once and you never see them again. And this gym, um, was, New Life? It was New Life Fitness World. Yeah, yeah. Now I think it's like Top Shape. I, I've lost track of no, it. No, yeah, it's something else. Um, they used to sponsor the gym. I'm not sure what the name, but they're still around, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, so there was a, a guy that did Tough Man, Tough Man competitions, mm-hmm. and I don't even think they have them anymore. I, they, uh, I don't know if they should. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah. to put it in perspective, um, they would have – uh, like boxers right now, they wear eight ounce, maybe ten ounce gloves when they professionally box. Yeah, the so, heavy the heavyweights do anyway. Right, Ouch. and um, the tough man, what they would do is they'd have like twenty ounce gloves, and they'd have this big, thick headgear, so that when Larry and Joe from down the street wanted to, they would have a bracket, and they would just whoever wanted to enter. There was no weight classes or specifications or regulation. Yeah, or no athletic commission or anything like that. Just show up, and you could literally drink a beer on your way out to the ring. Oh yeah, and then chuck it into the crowd, and then go fist fight somebody, and everyone loved it. It was very entertaining. I'm glad you, that you're corroborating this story because I've already t- highlighted on two different podcasts the involvement of alcohol in early MMA fighting, mm-hmm. and uh, Tough Man, to a degree, was even worse. I would say mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. the MMA, what happened most of the time at these amateur fights. Somebody with better grappling got mm-hmm. a hold of somebody, took him down, choked him out, it's done. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it ended worse than that. But in Tough Man, it ended worse every mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. Talk, it, speak on this. Yeah. So um, one of the guys that would come into the gym did a Tough Man, and he'd done very well at him before, and so he knew how to box. And he tore his bicep tendon, and so he was in a sling, and he just didn't know what he was going to do. Like, he had all this time, and he wanted to continue to get in the gym, and he wanted to have a, another purpose. Um, you know, as an athlete, it's tough when you're dinged up, you don't know what to do mm-hmm. and where to find your purpose again. And so, um, working the front desk, I was like, well, teach me how to box. I don't know how to box. Teach me how to box. He's like, perfect. All right. Meet me at the gym at this time. And so go there and hit the heavy bag a couple of times and started to become a regular there. I think I had gone like a month, maybe two months. What's this guy's name? Uh, Jim Sullivan. Okay. So, um, yeah, he, he was the guy that introduced me and, and, uh, we had sparred once. And again, he has one arm and one boxing glove and we sparred that once. And I mean, he like tapped me a little bit and taught me how to move around and how to move my feet and stuff like that. And, um, he's like, okay, I can't be at the gym next week, but do this workout. And so I went in there on my own and there, the other coaches. So he was just a buddy of mine. He wasn't a coach there. And the coaches at the gym, um, were getting the guys ready for uh, the Golden Gloves. Mm-hmm. And they just had a heavyweight that got injured. And they're trying to fill the roster so they can do better as a team. And um, they look around the room. And, like, I'm, I'm doing my thing with a heavy bag. No clue what I'm doing. Horrible technique. 
and I can hear this conversation going on, and they're like, well, well who's that guy? Well, I don't, hey, dude, hey, guy, hey, hey. Hey, guy, get over here. Yeah. We want you to do some yeah. uh, little, little boxing match. So, um, <laughs> they, uh, and to set the stage, like, I've had amazing coaches. I've been very, very lucky in my entire life to have awesome coaches that always have my back, and high school coaches that um, have invested nothing but time into me that I can never pay back. And they've always been very honest with me. Well, you're paying it back right now, kind of. Yeah, I hope. I mean, you I don't are. know. You are. He's he he's being modest. He's he's an assistant coach for the Hard Drive Wrestling Club, which is super super awesome. But uh, you're giving it back. So anyway, right. sorry, didn't interrupt. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> um. So these coaches are like, hey, um, we got this uh, boxing match coming up. Do are you? What are you doing Saturday? And like this is later this week. Yeah, welcome to. Boxing. And I was like, um, you know, I I got a shift or whatever, but I can move it around. Why? What's up? Well, you want to come with us? I was like, yeah, I'll come with you. In my mind, I was like, I'll, I'll carry the water and the towels, and we'll I'll watch the stuff, and that sounds like fun. And they're like, how much do you weigh? And I was like, two hundred twenty pounds at the time. Like, Why are you asking? Yeah, <laughs> what does it matter? I'm five nine also. Yeah. Um. So, I'm like, oh well, yeah, blah blah blah. And they're like, perfect. We need a heavyweight. And I was like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? Like, no, we want you to come box. You're ready. I've seen you hit the bag. You, what, what are you talking about? And so they go, I mean, this is like a half an hour, I thought negotiation, but talking me into like, you're ready mm-hmm. and I'm ready. And at the end of it, I was ready. Yeah. I was so like, I am, I was hitting that heavy bag and I was crushing it. Yeah. Look out world. Yeah. They assumed the sale. That's what they call that. Assuming the sale. Oh, oh no, man. You're right, for sure. Yeah. Let's get yeah. you signed up on this. So I, yeah, we, um, so I called Jim later that night and was like, Hey, uh, I don't know how uniforms work or like what you wear or shoes or stuff like that. I need to borrow your stuff. Cause I'm going to go do the golden gloves. Iowa golden gloves tournament this weekend. And he's like, you are not no, and tries to talk me out of it, blah, blah, blah. Go to Golden Gloves. And um, we're warming up as a team, and I don't know how to warm up. So I'm like watching around, like looking at these dudes warm up. Okay, I can do what they do. And they're talking about who they got coming up. And they're like, okay, I got so and so. Who's this guy? Well, that's Lennox. Uh, who's he got? Well, he's got Hernandez. Ooh. Oh, Hernandez? Wait, like, who is Hernandez? Like, don't, don't worry about it. He. he well, he, oh, he, you'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> walks away laughing. Hernandez is the Son returning Golden bitch. Gloves state champion. I had no clue. Great. Um, it doesn't matter though, because you can hit the bag, so you're all good. Yeah, you know, I was crushing that bag. <laughs> that bag still um, winces when I walk by. Yeah, but his name ain't Hernandez. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right. So how yeah. did this thing unfold? Um, right away, I, I I know how to wrestle, but I don't know how to box, mm-hmm. and so I just bum rush this guy. And flail around for a while. Right away, I get a bloody nose, and it's in between rounds, and the coaches are talking to me, and they're like, hey, you need to do this, this, and this. And I, they said three things that I don't know what they were talking about. Like, I, I'm totally tracking them, but I, like, well, you need to move, counter move, and then punch back with it. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know any of that stuff. Yeah. How do I, can you show me? And yeah. I had them demonstrate the thing that they were trying to teach me. In, in the, between the first the and second fight. round and what did my best. Learn. What a great time to learn. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. second round, I distinctively remember I have a bloody nose. And it's not like I kind of kind of a bloody nose. It is a bloody nose. And uh, I'm against the ropes, against this buzzsaw. And um, the judges are right around the ring. And I get hit. 
and I see the spray of the blood track across the the um, card that the female judge is writing on, and she sets the um, card down. And I, I mentally thought, like, well, I'm not winning this round on her card. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe any of those blood spattered cards yeah. since it's all my DNA on So, it. Um, believe it or not, lost that one. And so I'm 0-1 as a boxer. But that taught me so much in regards to there are so many fights that I didn't take after that in my MMA career. Because promoters would call you and be like, hey, somebody <laughs> canceled and we need you, Jesse. We want you to fight for this belt. We want you to fight this guy. We, but like i know what you're doing like you yeah. are setting yourself you need a warm body right and cannon fodder yep mm-hmm. you need somebody in there and you're trying to fill your ballot and i'm not your guy like right. i'm not going to be used by you yeah. and so i'm so i would have got chewed up i got chewed up by boxing but i could have got chewed up by mma cuz i could have easily any one of us could have easily placed ourselves or let somebody put us into a, an unwinnable spot. Yeah, well, it happened all the time. And I, I would talk to Eric and I would talk to, I remember talking to people about this, like you're being brought to lose, you know mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. We're going to their hometown. This guy mm-hmm. promotes the fights. He also trains with the person you're fighting. Mm-hmm. Like yes. this happened with Bulware, mm-hmm. uh, where Devin tapped Bulware out three times. And then we later found out the ref that stood him up from like a triangle or, or did some crazy shit. Mm-hmm. You, you remember, you, yes. you lost our fucking minds there. Yep. Um, was training with the guy mm-hmm. and this happened all the time there was always a stage being set against fighters so when people said hey i got this guy remember this uh, i think he's okay on the ground mm-hmm. he's pretty good on the ground but his stand-up isn't that good mm-hmm. you don't know anything about this guy mm-hmm. or you know everything about yes. this guy and you're trying to make me believe that the worst thing that could happen is he's going to take me down and choke me out that's mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. pretty easy to see what they're doing but do you think that's I mean, it's kind of a dark thought to think about that because there's a lot of um, people potentially not as intelligent or logical than you, as you that took those fights and continue to take those fights and continue mm-hmm. to get whacked on and get their head abused for what? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Relatively it, no no benefit whatsoever. And, um, you know, each fight leads to the next fight and each moment in your life leads to the next moment in your life. And so because I chose my career so deliberately as far as who i fought next uh the the matchup mm-hmm. uh, they're better at me than this but i can beat them at that and they're better at me than this. i need to fight a better striker than me to prove that i can beat a better striker just through the technical way that we fight mm-hmm. and um i needed to prove those things to myself however if i would have started out oh and three yeah it's really hard to get a next level fight if you're you don't have the record to to back it up it's just hard to market that fighter now mm-hmm. even though they are pretty good it's really hard to market them yeah numbers all they look at most yep of the time. so by saying something <laughs> um saying yes to something means you're saying no to something else and so by saying yes to this fight i might have been saying no to this other fight that would have been very very good for my career and it would have been a great setup fight for me right so um yeah i, I wholeheartedly I so appreciate that loss and i appreciate that dose of reality that not everyone is your wrestling coach right. from your small hometown that hangs out with your parents right. that loves you uh it genuinely does um yeah. is looking out for your best interest right. it was very clear that they were filling the boxing coaches were filling a roster mm-hmm. and they were just trying to not lose points for their card and i still feel like they do that and i still feel like i, I i've known boxing coaches in the past even here locally that go 
yeah, you're ready to get in there. And I'm mm-hmm. like, they've been training two weeks, man. Mm-hmm. Like they might look promising, but you're mm-hmm. going to ruin them. Yeah. You're going to ruin any potential they have by putting them in there right now. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a sad deal. And in the case of boxing, I mean, there's not much more of a dangerous sport to get into if you don't know what the hell you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, <laughs> boxing has seen kind of a decrease in popularity since MMA came about because mm-hmm. MMA is actually inherently safer. But when you have an am- the, the term amateur boxing is somewhat frightening to me at this point in time mm-hmm. with, with a little bit more pr- perspective and older age. Having somebody clubbing away at my head for no money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, the boxing thing was a dose of reality. Uh, mm-hmm. and I know that you did that before you came into the basement, mm-hmm. a guy that I worked with, uh, who is now a little bit of a, a local legend or lore on the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Jesse Rittenhouse. Right on. Good for him. Uh, for his, for his battle in the McLeod USA parking lot. Oh, uh, yeah. right on. Well, um, <laughs> still though, he told me about you he said, I, I know this guy, Jesse, mm-hmm. that wants to come down and train. And I heard this all the time at this point in time from people. Oh, I want to come train with you guys and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, yeah, let him know, you know. And then he brought you up again like a week and a half later. He's like, hey, man, that guy, Jesse, that I know, he asked me again. He wants mm-hmm. your number. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, shit. I talked to him twice. He must really want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we we spoke on the phone or mm-hmm. something and, and you came over. But up to this point, uh, Devin came to train with me. He worked with me. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, Eric came to train with me. He's my brother, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember this order different. I thought you were the last guy to come. Bo was the last guy to come. I think I got it confused because Bo worked with me and he had been there for a while. But he, Bo told me, he's like, yeah, when I came, I remember you were there and you were there. And I remember Lennox was there. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how he thought that you were too nice. You know what I mean? He's like, <laughs> he couldn't figure it out. Did you mm-hmm. see our podcast? Mm-hmm. Did, yeah. you, did you hear Eric's chiseled features comment? No, no. When they I were talking about you, you know what they were talking about? Sam, uh, Sam Hoger, the Alaskan assassin, and how he couldn't get over your chiseled features mm-hmm, when you were fighting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> the Alaskan assassin is who um, um, beat Jim Sullivan. Oh no, shit! At the tough man. Yeah. Oh, funny. Wow. This whole world, okay, man. Yeah, yeah one thing all... leads to the next thing. It's all connected. It is, dude. That's what it's all about. <laughs> okay, so um, we we spoke, and then you came down, uh, mm-hmm. and you were kind of the last piece. And and what I was talking to these guys about is. We've had hard drive has been going now for a long time. And this started really two decades ago in, in like Bell Plain and Blairstown way back mm-hmm. in the day before even hybrid. But hi, even though I, I love this team to death, I love this culture. It's bigger than all of us now, which mm-hmm. is awesome. And I'm, I'm seeing kids in the wrestling club that are five that don't know anything about what mm-hmm. we went through that are benefiting from this. But in terms of a sense of like team, like I belong to a team, I'm an equal on a team, like these are my guys, mm-hmm. Hybrid Faction was the team. Mm-hmm. Those five guys, you, uh, Bo, uh, Debo, Eric, and myself, that's where I amassed a huge amount of combat knowledge uh, through potentially the most arduous of means, you know what I mean? Like the hardest route possible. And now after reading books about mastery, this subject fascinates me a lot. I used to be really proud of the uh, um, self-made guy thing, Mm -hmm. you know, the self-made man Mm -hmm. thing. And then I read this book by Robert Greene about mastery. That's like people that are self-made often gloat about it. But the truth is they're actually dumb basically because (laughs) they could have went to a mentor and got this, this information a lot. Well, the problem was, in Cedar Rapids specifically, there wasn't really mentors. Mm-hmm. There was me and Dave Scherzer um, that had been kind of around the scene for a long time. 
but there was no Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, affiliation or club. There was no Muay Thai instruction. There was some boxing, some good old-fashioned Iowa wrestling, and then everything that we had to try and fill in in the cracks. Um, but that team felt like the truest uh, team that I've ever been a part of. Like when we won, we celebrated together. When we lost, we lost together. We could we could have uh, three people fighting on a card between the five of us, and two of them would win, and one of them would lose, and we'd all lose. Yeah. Night. And that to me um, was the closest camaraderie and brotherhood and tightness of any group I've ever had in my entire life. Day one, it remind me if I'm incorrect. I think that we had a conversation years ago now where you uh, told me, and I could be completely delusional on this. I, my memories escapes me at times. But you said that you had a moment after you came down the first time and went, I don't know if this is for me. Um, is that correct? Do you remember that? And, and explain your first night in the, the basement as, as much as you can remember. Um, so met um, the guy that you worked with. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the entire boxing match, I wanted to wrestle this guy. And I thought, well, this would be a great blend. Yeah. But it didn't, no, there was no place to go. And sometimes you just have to create places on your own. And I, um, I didn't know where to go at this point. And uh, so some dudes. Basically. UFC wasn't cool. I mean, right. it just was. It was underground, and that's kind of like a common term now. But it was truly. It was on VHS tapes, and that was it. Yeah, and not. It was blacklisted. I think still at this time, mm -hmm. it wasn't on pay per view, or at yeah. least not easy to get it. I think it. Uh, I think satellite. Still yeah. had pay-per-views, but like Mediacom, all these cable, they, they all blacklisted it. So we were a group of guys on the internet hanging the sport together, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, hungry to learn about it. And uh, just, you know, he, he said that he had this buddy. And I'm sure you've heard the same thing as far as, oh, I know this guy. You mm -hmm. know, he wants to do this or he's doing this in his basement. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, I'll go check that. You know, like, let's go check that out together. Mm -hmm. And we were supposed to go together. And um, something happened where he wasn't able to make it. Well, and he did come down. Um, Before he, me. He, yeah, he made yep. it down there um, once, I think once. Mm -hmm. And that, basically, he came in telling me about this story. Mm -hmm. And I was, who is this guy? How do I get a hold of him? And I didn't have your number. And I bothered Jesse enough yeah. that he's like, I think he must have gotten a hold of your yeah, number and did. just like, you guys take care of this. Yep. And so we ironed it a night. He was supposed to come with. And it, it didn't matter that he didn't show up. But um, yeah, show up at your place. You answer the door. You aren't quite the character I was expecting. What were you, you, expect, know? What were you uh, expecting? It, just like, uh, um, <laughs> awesome. what's that movie with the bouncer? Like, I thought you'd be taller. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who's this little wee man that stands before me? <laughs> How is this possible? You know, he, what's he got? Superpowers or something? Wrong, wrong place. Wilson yeah. Avenue Drive, yeah. right? Um, I do have the right address. And so you're like, hey, come on down to my basement. And, um, you know, I do remember walking down the narrow stairs to your basement and being like, Okay, Rittenhouse said that he came here and he lived, so that's good. Like, yeah. Well, kudos, this could have... kudos to you, man, because, fuck, I don't know if I would have done that. Like, <laughs> and, and it's not like I, I just, I'm, I, maybe I'm a little bit too untrusting of people to just mm -hmm. show up and walk down into a yeah. basement. But, like, I, I always gave a lot of credit to you uh, for that because these guys knew me. Mm -hmm. They knew me from work, so they knew that if I was a serial killer, the odds were low. 
But um, you didn't know any of those people in there. You were just going off of some shit that you had been told. And that takes, I don't care how strong you are, that's, that's a ballsy move. I, I distinctively remember you, you turned the corner into the room that we were in. And you went in first. And I thought, like, okay, if something is sketchy, I'm just going to run up the stairs and I'm going to blast out his right back, to door. That back door. Like, I had a plan right of, like, <laughs> my awesome, escape strategy. Dude. Oh, I love so, this shit. This is great. <laughs> I'm like, Okay, let's You're go to your an basement. You're charting escape plan in yeah. my basement. Yep, like, all right. Oh, um, and so we go down there. Matt's only on the floor, none on the, the walls yet. And um, and I don't remember how we discussed it or what we were going to do or what the, the thing was that day, but eventually we got to rolling or we got to yeah. doing um, some uh, let's try Live this rolls. stuff. I, yep. You probably showed me, I'm guessing. I remember an arm bar and a triangle. Yeah. and not understanding the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, there was a thing, but there, the, the arm hurt sometimes when he did this thing, and then I could not breathe when he did this other thing. <laughs> and I couldn't remember the difference between Happens the two. Happens fast. And um, so we did those things, and then we rolled. And I pinned you. Like, just so you know, I pinned you. Oh, yeah. But then that's, took me it, down. it never stopped. Like, I thought that's when all grappling matches stop is when you pin somebody. Yeah. But we, I'm the winner. Yeah, I, I won. <laughs> Why are you still, you know, okay, now he choked me out. Like, ah, but I pinned him. Like, it just yeah. didn't. There were so many things that you learned that you had to. There's so many things we had to learn about everything else in MMA. Yeah. And I had to unlearn wrestling. a whole bunch of, yeah. I had to unlearn some specific things of wrestling that just don't apply anymore. Mm-hmm. I have to completely remove this natural reaction that I have in wrestling. I have to delete that from my now vocabulary or my now. Uh, repertoire in my um, skill set and so yeah i just got wrecked that first thing yeah and the you the... didn't get wrecked you got caught a couple times maybe three times in the, the the here's my perspective oh shit oh shit oh shit <laughs> this guy's throwing me all over i gotta snag something up so i had talked to these guys and i don't want to make your head too big but i talked to these guys and i said hey guys somewhere out there is a shark Somewhere out there is a guy that doesn't know really anything about the sport, but he's got the experience and he's put together enough and natural enough that when he comes in here, he's going to give us problems, even though we know what we're doing. And he's not going to give us problems like, you know, four or five weeks down the road. He's going to give us problems the first and the second time. And when he learns, he's going to give us real problems. I'd already set the stage for this thing to happen. And when you walked in, I was like, this is the guy. (laughs) This is the guy. Um, and, uh, you, you got to set your standards. You higher. were all, well, you were, you were already very capable and I thought you were strong looking at you, but you also have to realize you never know. Like yeah. I've looked at guys that look strong that were all inflated up and puffed mm-hmm. up and, um, threw them all over the room. Mm-hmm. I've been that guy before, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Kurowski back in the day, a uh, wrestler from Belle Plaine. He was this little kid, 145 mm-hmm. pound string bean. And I was 185 pounds, thought I was submission mm-hmm. swole grappler guy. And same thing. I caught him a couple times when we rolled, but he threw me all over the fucking place. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, there's some real talent here. So I immediately saw you as, <clears throat> excuse me, this guy, this guy with all this huge untapped potential. I recognized it right away. I felt like I did. <laughs> and it was not easy uh, grappling you the first time. That's why I knew. Because I'm like, if this guy doesn't know anything, except wrestling, of course, which is a huge deal. Um, and he's this effective. What happens when I teach him anything? What is he going to use? How's he going to, you know, progress? What was your perspective? Because when you walked out of that basement, I was looking at Bo and going, this fucking guy, 
this I'm glad he walked in. He's going to be huge for us. What was your perspective walking out? Uh, it was it was just you and I. Was it? And so it was the it, first it, time it was just you. Yes, and I? really. Yep. It, it reminded me you had a light. I thought like one singular light in the ceiling, right in the middle. Yep. Yeah. And it reminded me of like uh, an interrogation room, but it didn't. It wasn't swinging. Yeah. But it was just. It was a dark Omin- room. Ominous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like click, one light comes on. That, you know, draining the floors. That's where I'm gonna get butchered, and um, God, drained out. I thought out. that those guys were there, but maybe I talked to them. That's, no, that's I, I was alone the first night, and I walked out to my car, <clears throat> and like, you like slowly putting your keys in, and I was thinking to myself, is this a thing? Like, is this the thing that I want to do? Like, is this? There's so many things again that you can say yes to, but you're gonna say no to something else that you don't even know exists. Yeah. So, am I gonna say yes to this? And if I do it. I want to do it, mm-hmm. but if I'm not, if I'm just going to use this as a screw around time, then I just need to know that. But I, I knew that it was something I was really interested in, but it was hard, and I sucked at it. And like I know that you said three times or whatever, but it it, it was more like twenty. Like it was bad. I thought it was horrible. I t- I think I pinned you like fifty times, but you didn't count pins, and no, we I didn't weren't give a shit we weren't wrestling at all. And, I knew and so that those I things didn't matter. But in my mind, yeah, it was so hard for me to process. As soon as I you could pin someone and not up, win. As soon as I locked up or you locked up with me, I was like, "Well, I ain't gonna pin this guy. <laughs> Wherever this goes, I'm gonna have mm-hmm. to go." Yeah. And that's why it, it might have felt so alien for you, even though you're doing better than you think. And I I contest twenty times. I don't think it happened 20 mm. times. But I do remember that. You pinned me and you controlled the shit out of position, but I knew enough about submission to finagle some stuff. Mm. And uh, to to at least show you that where the wrestling game ended, yeah. the jiu-jitsu This isn't working, up. Right. bro. Yeah. This well, is different goal sets, right? Yeah, the, it's I, a different sport. It's a different I, arena. I talk to these people all the time in class, and I go, look, wrestling and jiu-jitsu, the fundamental mechanics are the same. That you, that it's physics, it's science, it's applicable science that govern these two sports, but the whole end result is totally different. Wrestling, you're trying to be a dominant, controlling, positionally controlling force, pin the shoulders down to the ground, match ends. Mm-hmm. Jiu-jitsu, you're assuming that's going to happen, and that's where the match picks up. Mm-hmm. We knew that it was important to mix these two together, and I knew that we had a huge gap in wrestling. Uh, when I taught wrestling, I taught a single leg and a double leg that sucked. That's all I really knew. And I've seen throws and I've studied this stuff, but I've never applied it with any consistency. So when you came over and came over again, there was almost an immediate consensus that you were the new wrestling coach and indeservedly so. But uh, I thought it was interesting hearing from Devin and hearing from you and hearing from Bo about that first time, Mm -hmm. that first time in the gym, because the choice to just come back Mm-hmm. oftentimes is the hardest thing to, especially in that kind of environment. That wasn't a, Hey, come to hard drive and have your first class. And it's a very chill pace mm-hmm. and your learning technique. It was like grind a thought. Yeah. Let, let, let's try all this stuff that we think works, Yeah, but we're not sure, but we're going to try it on you around concrete Yeah, and jagged metal mm-hmm. <laughs> and lally yeah. columns. Um, so going into competition, uh, you were one of the first. Debo competed immediately against Warfrog Ronnie Bray yeah. in the legendary match that he never consulted hardly anybody with. No. Um, <laughs> we talked a little bit about that. It's, it's funny. But uh, you wanted to compete pretty early too. I had no interest in competition whatsoever. When I got involved in martial arts, it was because of insecurities when I was a kid that I wanted to get over. 
the process of doing martial arts got me over those insecurities. And then I was really interested in just learning more and learning more and learning more and getting better and better. Competition never really entered my mindset. I just wanted to understand the fights that I was watching of the sport that I was a huge fan of, this mm -hmm. underground thing. And there was a certain uh, cool thing about that underground thing where there wasn't that many people doing it. So we, mm -hmm. it was truly the love mm -hmm. of what we were doing that kept it alive. But I had no, no real interest at all at first in competing. You did. Um, talk about the first fight that you had uh, in MMA and uh, what led you to want to compete in MMA? What is it? Is it something that you don't, I mean, something you can't identify or was there some, something you needed to prove to yourself? Failure is usually, usually the answer to a lot of my questions. It, it should leave you uncomfortable. And there were doors or there were doors left un, unopened. And um, sometimes you just feel like you can contribute more, you can do more, you have the ability to do more. And the only way to find out, you know, like we we would go to the basement and we would try some new stuff or something we uh, there's a new invention called the internet and um i learned a thing on a video that took yeah. like 17 minutes to download but i watched it 17 <laughs> times and uh, i think i i'd like to i'd like to try that now mm -hmm. and you try that here and it it worked on a pocket of five people mm -hmm. but we still didn't know if that was a thing like we needed to truly see, we needed to pressurize the system and see if that worked. We needed to take it to a little yeah. bit bigger arena. And Des Moines uh, at the time was consistently putting on quality, for then, mm -hmm. quality fights. Yeah. Um, Josh Neer was like the the reason yep. that that, it, that and, started. And Fisher, right? Wasn't Fisher yes. in Des Moines as well? And yep. they had a couple. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. He was, they had the... The, the bangers, yeah. the, the epic fights. If people uh, if uh, people watching this or hearing this don't know, uh, I don't even know if there's footage of it, but the, the Josh Neer and Spencer Fisher fights, if I recall, there was more than one. There was. I, 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 I'm pretty sure there was, were absolutely epic. Mm -hmm. um, probably both took tolls on both of those guys because the, the mindset of both of those guys and the, the skills of both mm -hmm. of those guys, like how mm -hmm. can you – Think about a Josh Neer fight and a Spencer Fisher fight, and it, it's not good. But yeah, um, I still talk now to or then. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, Neer is uh, when I watch Neer fight, I go, "That's a that's a fighter. Mm -hmm. He loves fighting. It's yep. all it's all he loves." And we've talked about him a couple times, and I've actually talked to Neer, and he sent some people my way, and um, good dude, you mm -hmm. know what I mean. Uh, yep. But Des Moines was the the first opportunity for you to kind of showcase yourself. Mm -hmm. It was never a showcase for me personally, like it. I've and check me if you saw it differently because I don't I don't again I don't like yes men in my life mm -hmm. um, but it was never about the show or the showmanship or it was just does this stuff work Test. like are we is this really gonna like, let's try it mm -hmm. let's I, let's see if this is gonna work let's see if what we're doing in this community that we built is truly bigger than we think it is is this are we truly are we like, good? with ego we, are we as good as we think we are? Mm -hmm. Because it's tough to compare ourselves to other people, and we would compare ourselves to groups in Fort Dodge and you know other like Davenport, yeah. there were the big camps that were on the West Coast and the East Coast that had the studs, but that's a plane right away, and it's tough for us to compare ourselves to those guys. And so, to me personally, it was just about seeing: are, are we on the right path? 
Like, are we are we going the right direction? What's the mission, and are we going? Are we doing it right? Yeah. And, um, it wasn't like I wasn't like really really driven to fight right away, but it it just seemed like okay, now what? Like I, there there needs What's to next? be a next move in this chess match. Like I, okay, we've gotten to here. We learned these lessons, and again, like you said, when Devin didn't win that fight even though there's a couple things we could do differently um as far as a fight camp or um oh yeah we, we learned a lot from that fight but it it hurt us yeah it really it hurt us like we even though we took it last minute even though um yeah the rules didn't exist back then really i mean very vague and they're different really. for every fight <laughs> yeah. and you would show up and they'd be different the morning of and uh but it was failure. Yeah, it's it was savage. Like it really, it, it even hurts me today to talk I about know, it. I know. It, um, it was hard to watch. It was your brother. I mean, it was yep. your brother out there in a fist fight, and you were outside the cage, and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, yep. you you put the work in ahead of time, and that now there's nothing you can do about it. And it is the most helpless feeling that I think. It, there's there's several times in life I felt yeah. helpless, and that's one of them. And you're right, I, and I've been in those those fights where nothing's going right, and none of the advice that I'm screaming at the top of my lungs is doing anything. Mm -hmm. And you're watching your person, the person that you've sacrificed with, the person that you've you've been entrusted to prepare, mm -hmm. watching them fail and watching yep. them lose, and watching them fail and lose in the most public and physical way possible. Mm -hmm. You know, with physical violence and domination. It is so helpless. Mm -hmm. I've been in a lot of compromising situations training, and mm -hmm. none of them felt as helpless. Even in fight camps, even in the, the ones that were engineered to screw me over mm -hmm. and I wasn't supposed to win, I've been brought to the bottom of the barrel, and nothing feels as helpless as watching one of your guys go down. Mm -hmm. that, that, is, that hurt. Um, after your, and I don't want to jump around too much, but after your fight with Vitapo, um, I thought you won that fight. And of course I was biased. You were training with me at the time. So, um, I, I thought you won that fight in a close decision and the judges saw it the other way. I, I was at the time going, this is damage. You know what I mean? And, and Jesse has a, a cut that he got a week before the fight from Chris Harrison. Thank yeah. you, Chris bastard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it was, uh, a, no, it was, it was part like, of the mission. Like yeah, we, yeah, we that's the way practice. Um, and then you got cut by another knee from Vitapo when you guys were on the ground. So, um, but you, you, you smashed up Vitapo's face pretty good. He, he talked about that, and I heard somebody talking about how he was being walked around Iowa City by his two friends completely <laughs> blind, <laughs> tailgating the next day. So, Vitapo, you're an animal. Yes. Um, but uh, when you were – so this is something we haven't talked about since this night. Uh, you were down in the vets, you know, after the fight, mm -hmm. and you had swallowed so much blood uh, – from whatever dripping in your face in this square cage, this monstrosity that mm -hmm. didn't afford us any takedown defense. Yeah. And you, the, the decision was rendered and we were in the back and uh, you, you were like, hey, keep people out of here for a while. Let me uh, get my wits about me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt so low. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I felt like I had let you down. I felt like the team had let you down so much. And that's not the way the fighter thinks. Fighter thinks uh, typically they prepared me. I'm mm -hmm. in here by myself. Mm -hmm. I'm representing myself. Like I'm representing my team, but ultimately it's me in here in the cage. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I felt so, uh, low, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, this is, 
but it was also a beautiful thing. In retrospect, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing yes. to to feel that and to have that kind of emotion because it, it, it reinforces what these people mean to you. You know what I mean? Um, and that's a, the, the duality of life, you know, the sadness that gives you perspective about what happiness and fulfillment actually is. And that brotherhood was, was tight, as strong, and it still is because I can see any, I can go, I could go seven, eight months without seeing Debo, see him, we pick him just, just mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think you can ever break those bonds fully. I think mm-hmm. they're always there. Um, those bonds are built through struggle. I mean, they're, they're yeah. built through that pain. hard work and an unclear outcome. Mm-hmm. It's not like uh, uh, there's certain things that you do that you're like, okay, if I do A, B, C, and D, then E will be the result. It, the consequence of doing all the right stuff and then failing at the end. It, yeah. You can still do everything right and fail. Yeah. And, and we, we were riding into the fire. Yeah. Uh, I mean, luck is still a part of the equation. Yes. I, I mean, it, it, I put it at 20%. And so if luck is that much of an equation, you, you just you got to train the other eighty percent as much as you can, and then you just you can control what you can control, and that's it. Do you feel like um, that you had mental composure right away in terms of fighting in MMA? Did you feel like a strong uh, mental competitor, or did that take uh, time to develop? Did that take fights to develop? Yeah, that took fights to develop, for sure. That uh, uh, I think it was Couture that said he didn't feel comfortable fighting until his tenth fight. I remember you telling me that, and um, it's more comfortable before the fight just understanding that i'm nervous we are prepared and this is it's it's good to be nervous it's normal to be nervous the other guy's nervous it's not but nonetheless we are going to go out there's no uncertainty about whether we're going to walk out to the cage together we're going to walk out to the cage together there's a certain manner in which i get my stuff off and then i go into the cage we acknowledge that uh, the door is going to get shut behind you, and then you're just going to go. Like, there's no if there is a question of, am I really going to go out there and do this? You have lost the fight. Correct. I am sorry, brother. You Correct. have already lost the fight. If there is any part of you that when the door shuts, you are not excited at that point, you're in for a long night. Yeah, you, yeah. It is <clears throat> setting up for. You have to get yourself in the right mindset to do that, and every part of this was new. And so wrestling was different than boxing as far as how you warm up and how you perform and how things are judged. And that is different from MMA as far as how things are scored and and just understanding that there's just things you can't control. Yeah. Just go out there and do your best. And and, just, and you're going to have to adapt embracing. There's going to be so much stuff that you don't see coming. You didn't plan for. There's going to be several audibles that have to happen along the way. Yeah deal with it and who can adapt the fist the fastest is going to be the guy that can win and we prepared that way we prepared for the worst case scenarios mm-hmm. we put ourselves in a lot of bad positions and we trained a lot of what we did <laughs> to train was not specified it wasn't specific it was striking with takedowns mm-hmm. striking with take- it was just fighting mma basically soft yeah. half the time and, and half the time it wasn't soft um hold on just a sec jesse i'm going to take a break and let those guys know to not put on the radio oh copy and then i'm going to talk about the fuck it <laughs> Yeah. The 
uh, I don't hear anything in these. You might not. Okay. Um, they're just not so... super audiophile, but I can hear you and your voice is Okay. Good. I mess with the connections a little bit to see if I need to. And you can, I mean, if you don't want to wear them, you can take them off. <clears throat> no. All good. Okay, cool. Um, so mentality is huge. Uh, mentality, uh, you talked about mentality and you talked about uh, if you don't believe and how, yeah. how detrimental that can be. And I talk to people about this all the time. I think what separates a successful competitor and, and a champion oftentimes is that little seed of belief and that is it. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in your ability to do this? Do you really believe it? And not pumping yourself up and telling yourself this, not just visualizing, but then in the back of your head entertaining this notion that you're not good enough. It's already happened. You've already done the work. It's a, it's a foregone conclusion. You're, all you have to do is show up and execute and that's it. That's really, really hard to do for mm -hmm. some people. Um, there's a lot of people I feel that train, they train hard, mm -hmm. they put in the work, <clears throat> and then they go out there to compete and in the back of their mind, there's this little seed of doubt that's been planted. Maybe it's been planted by not preparing as good as they could. Maybe yeah. it's been planted by uh, some kind of very, very subtle mental weakness or insecurity or doubt in themselves. But the minute that they step into that cage, if it's there, it blossoms. Mm -hmm. And it, it just blossoms into <laughs> blossoms, a tree yeah. of self-destruction where you implode. We've seen this countless times, not so much with the hybrid faction, but with other people that have fought along the years, mm -hmm. where in the gym, they're um, great training partners, they're formidable opponents, but when they get into the cage, mm -hmm. um, the mental bug strikes. You told me uh, a long time ago about a, a moment that you had where you were dealing with this maybe early in your, your fight career and you just went, fuck it, mm -hmm. going out there and doing it. And it's not glamorous, but I've heard that before because you almost have to have this acceptance of the moment when you're in a cage with somebody trying to do this to you. Um, if you can elaborate on that moment, if you remember that moment. Well, there's kind of two different things there as far as my answer with this, which is an impressive question to, to think of. Never have been, I uh, never have this question been posed to me before, but um, there's certain people that I aspire to be, or you can just see in your life that you're like, um, that's a find a way motherfucker. Like that guy, I don't care what his problem is. He, he's going to find a way the, insert problem. He's going to find a way. Yep. He, she doesn't matter. They're, they're, it's, uh, not bound. And that I learned some of that and I'm still trying or, or driving that direction to someday be that person that whatever the obstacle, whatever the problem or the audible that just gets thrown in your lap i don't know how to do this we'll find a way find a way um and that was uh yeah that's the person that uh, uh i'm trying to be and and had to be at certain times and uh the more that you do it and you do something that you have no clue how to do and you just figure it out and you just accept the fact that you just got to figure this out and you got to move forward move forward um, it helps solve problems. The, I had had decent level fights before and, and the fuck it comment. Um, it was my first fight in the UFC and I was sitting in, it, it wasn't the weigh-ins, but it was like the first time that everyone flies in and then we had to get together for some sort of meeting. Yeah. And you're in this room with, at the time, again, like we were, 
we weren't the who's who. We had watched the who's who over and over again. And each time we would get together and watch fights, we would be like, oh, you know, like, did you see that? Do you see how, I mean, we're learning so much from these guys just through watching the one fight, you know, mm-hmm. and they're thinking all the things that they're practicing on right. their own. And so when I get in this room, my mind starts to just auger in with like, what am I doing? in you know, noise. imposter syndrome, noise. like yeah. how... And I don't even know what they were talking about in the meeting. Like, I could not tell you what the purpose of the meeting was. Mm-hmm. But I'm just sitting around looking at Couture and Forrest Griffin, and Spider Silva, and all these people that are like main level card, idols. high level dudes. When peers, be- when idols become peers. Yeah. yeah. And you're just like, I am not deserving to be here. Like, how, you know, and there's that. So there's so many times that you come to a room, in, in my mind, I come to a room that has two doors. And I, I want to choose the option that gets me into another room that has more doors instead of the room that has less doors. So that way I have more options. And at that time, like somebody's talking about something and I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Like, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like this is big millions of people are going to watch this. Yeah. And it just didn't matter though. Like who cares if millions of people are going to watch it? And so you, being alone growing up like you just got to be still with your thoughts and you got to think about it and be like well let's distill this problem down what's at the bottom of this problem some people might see you fail that's cool so like yeah and (laughs) yeah and so like okay there's a dude i've seen on tv so and Moving on. I've seen know. dudes on TV before. Yeah, like, what? this yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. That doesn't matter. The one thing that matters is in X number of days, me and one of these guys in here is going to get in a fist fight in a cage. It's right out there. 15 That's minutes. all that matters. Yep. And so instead of thinking of all the distracting things, of all the interviews and all the mm-hmm. people that want you on the radio show to hype their show so that they can hype the fight and... The all noise, the distracting. Yeah. Hey, your sponsor just backed out. Uh, there's something wrong with your your corner man's not going to fly in for three more days, and uh, you know there's always just shenanigans and people that go will on. buckle under that. Yeah, it, I mean you could focus on all the stuff that right? doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We got to go to that cage. We got to. We're going to do this. Do the do the business. So yeah, it it was the two choices was do I really want to do this. Or I'm gonna do this a hundred percent. Just it just I could think of all the distracting things. And it's very easy. Yeah. It's they dramatically want your attention, the distractions. And once once you refocus the lens on what was important, everything becomes so clear. Everything becomes very quiet. And that's where I was very comfortable. And that was my um yeah, that was my fuck it moment. With uh, with the mindset involved, I tell this to people all the time. You know, prepare ahead, do a lot of visualization, mm-hmm. see yourself winning. That's you put that in your mind now. See yourself doing this this combination. See yourself doing this. But also build into this mindset flexibility, because I would be meticulous about this. When I wake up on weigh-in day, I'm gonna have a little bowl of oatmeal or whatever the hell it is. Yep. Like down to the raisins. Yeah. But I also built in this uh, element of flexibility and flow. So when the raisins weren't there, 
the universe wasn't somehow converging in on me like a lot of it is for a lot of fighters. A lot of fighters get to these points where everything's on the line and the littlest thing, like you said, the littlest change up, oh, your corner man can't come. Mm-hmm. All this anxiety now, oh, it's not meant to be. It begins mm-hmm. this, this downward spiral of mental thoughts. Whereas if you truly, truly master your mind, I feel like the best martial artists, the best of anything in the world have that capacity to master their mind at the, the most taxing and challenging times. And getting into that cage, I don't know what you felt like. I wasn't a, a natural born competitor, but I was always, um, most nervous for a bout when I signed for the bout. When I actually signed the contract for the bouts when I was the most nervous. And there's nerves, right? There's nerves going up, just natural stuff, of course. But I felt through training, they got progressively less. And the closer I got to the fight in some strange way, a way I would have never anticipated, I got more comfortable. But when I signed that shit, For, for, Are we going to do this? For $450 to show and yeah. $450 to win, am I going to get into a cage and fight another human being and, and try to simulate essentially murder, uh, violence upon them? Um, what the, the, my nerves were derived not from what I knew was going to happen. I kind of tried to make peace with what time inside the cage meant, and it was you know, just the highest level competition possible. But the training... The training going up to the fight was so much harder and more taxing than the actual fight itself. Even the toughest fight I've ever had didn't come close to echoing the the misery that I went through for the fight itself. Um, Talk about training because you you competed, I think, 10 times, right, before you moved to Davenport? Yeah. um, Something like that. Yeah. Um, Had a very successful career. uh, Moved up there. Got a job uh, with the EMT, right, in Davenport. Uh, and uh, started training with Pat, Pat Miletic. Uh, at the time, Miletic was the cream of the crop. And there, and I don't say that like, oh, they were one of the best. They were the best. They had all the champs at the time. Uh, Sylvia was champion. Uh, Hughes was champion. Lawler was wrecking all kinds of stuff in there. Um, and you had cross-trained with Pat. We had went there a couple times, actually. But you had been cross-trained with Pat and some up in uh, – with Duke as well, up in mm-hmm. Wisconsin. And those guys cross-trained as well. So it's kind of a nice Midwestern community. Yep. Um, talk about training at Militich. Talk about uh, the highs there, the lows there. What training? Uh, what some of the best stuff you got from Pat? Because it, to be able to train under Pat, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of knowledge and experience there. I uh, we've talked about this, but I haven't really we haven't dove in deep. Um, talk about your training there. What you learned after um, you started training with Pat, and and your general experience in the UFC, like what you feel about the UFC, how you feel about it then, how you feel about it now, just your general experience. With Pat, Pat was and is a busy dude. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's and all over the place. He's, again, he's a, he's a find way guy. Like yeah. he just is adapting and always moving forward. And the gym, well, at the time that I moved there, it was just going gangbusters. I mean, there was champs, there was fights, there was everything, it was happening. The who's who. And you had to really fight for his attention. And it reminded me of trying to get your phone number from Rittenhouse. <laughs> I, I, I need to politely, respectfully try and get you to invest some time into me. And how do I do that? The uh, One of the best ways that, that happened was getting him ready for his Thomas Denny fight. Mm-hmm. Was so, that IFL? adrenaline oh that's Um, right okay yep Yep. um so 
we investing in him. It, there was no written contract or anything like that. But hey, man, I'm I'm all in on you. Mm. Uh, I'll train you. You know, we'll work on this for me. I'll work on that for you. And we're just gonna parallel these things, and we're gonna continue to work together. And I, yeah, we just. Pat always talked about having his, uh, as a coach, there would be struggles in the gym and he would let them go sometimes. And he always talked about it like he was, his fighters were his pit bulls and he was walking his pit bulls every day and he knew how much energy the pit bulls had and he knew how much he needed to walk them. He knew when to pull them in and he knew when they, they started to fight, when to let them establish dominance within the group. And so there was, uh, it, it was a tough atmosphere. I yeah. mean, you. Well, let's be, let's just be honest. I'll, I'll I'll address the white elephant in the room. There, that that place was. You're fighting there, right? Yeah. And that and well, I, this isn't from you. This is from things I've heard from multiple people that train there. Like when you sparred there, you were sparring. You're fighting. You're you're going all in. Usually, yeah. yeah I mean, there's the there's all levels. There were the nicest guy in the room mm-hmm. that was genuinely looking out for your best interest. And then there was the guy over there that you don't know what he's going to do. Um, but he's a killer. And, you know, he's an athlete, too. Like, he's just not a wild guy from the street. Like, he's right. legitimately chasing a world championship. Something but I don't, sh- I can't predict his next move. <laughs> Something to sharpen my blade at minimum. Yeah. Um, but that was what was required back in the day. Um, well, and that guy's had a lot of success. That toughness, yeah. that Midwestern grit, mm-hmm. um, that's, in my opinion, that, that that's what made that gym such a formidable opponent at the time because MMA was relatively young. So if you had a good team and they were gutty and they'd train hard and fight, you had a huge advantage in the cage, I feel like. Yeah, it was. Uh, and he always wanted to be Gable, Gable-esque sure. in his approach to outwork him. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter, outwork him. So... It's interesting that he says that because, and this may be an Iowa thing, but Scherzer says the same thing. Scherzer said, this is why we're hard drive, because we might get outskilled, but we can always address our work. We can always address how prepared we are and how fit we are, and and we can overcome that skill at times. Yeah, And, and going back, like, early on, we were very good at breaking down a fight, figuring out where we were better and where they were worse. And the wrestler is the ultimate dictator in the, the cage because if you want the fight to go to the ground, you have the wrestling capability. The superior wrestler mm-hmm. can take the fight where they want it to be. If you want it to be you on top, shake them down. If you want to be on the bottom, okay, then find a way to do that. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> some people got a great it. guard game, and they and they both are uh, uh, Debo. Yeah. I mean, he finished fights from the bottom. Yeah. But but oftentimes we didn't like promote pulling no, guard or anything like that. No, no, no. no. But like still, a... like there's always a strategy and there's always something we were better at. Yeah. And so we were very good at figuring out how to get us to that spot to then outperform them on this one thing. They may have been a significantly better striker than us. Yeah. I mean, like Lightness, way better. Yeah. But we had this thing. We're gonna you know, get we, you. We had the. <laughs> we're yeah. gonna get you. Um, you might be a top level at this but we have this other thing yeah and so we're going to insert that and so by moving the chess pieces around just right enough to set the stage correctly for us to implement our game rather than their game Mm -hmm. i think that's something that we did very well and that that just 
same thing. Hard work uh, came back to uh, you can control that, but you're not going to become a black belt in the next two weeks before this fight. Right. But we can get you in shape, and we can teach you uh, what thing to avoid uh, to to not put yourself in that bad spot. Right. So, um, it, in terms of uh, your MMA career, you fought in the UFC. I want to say three times. Is that right? Yes, three times. Uh, when did you think that it was time to stop fighting or when did you have a conversation with yourself where you, you decided to step away from the sport? Why did you do that? And uh, to kind of conclude this thing, what have you gotten out of mixed martial arts that's been valuable um, then and now? There's this podcast, there's podcasts inside of podcasts, oh, if there, that makes we could, sense. We could I mean, do it for, we could podcast for days. Bro. <laughs> we got a lot of shit to talk about. But. As far as like transitions, like when you think you're ready, how do you, you know, how does the person listening to this figure out when they're ready? Like, how do you know? That's a podcast. Yeah. And we could sit down with a bunch of squared away dudes and we could talk about that. Uh, transitioning to Militich, that was a podcast. Sure. You know? Yeah. It's, it's um, too much to encompass yeah. in one, one statement for sure. Being in the deep end of the pool when you're in there. Um, it's a shark tank. Yep. Yeah. And then um, retirement. Like, I would, I think that's a great podcast talking about when to do it, when you know you're ready, mm -hmm. when it's time. Uh, I have an amazing wife. She always was my corner outside of the corner. Yeah. She was any <laughs> anything I needed. Like, she set me up for success. She was the stoic, um, always, like, making sure that we had the food necessary. I mean, she did everything around the house. She did the meal. I mean, she was... Let's, let's speak on the wives. Copy. Because... They put up yeah. with some shit, bro. Yeah. <laughs> they put up with some shit. Yeah. We were training at 9.30 to 11.30 yeah. in my basement when we were training there. Yeah. And regardless of what time you're training, whether you're a second shift coach or a first shift coach, the amount of discipline that it takes to do the sport is uh, profound. The amount of discipline that um, uh, significant others play in allowing you the time to learn the sport and to commit yourself to the sport is also profound. And uh, my ex-wife Tish sacrificed a lot. It, it, it might've been the marriage. My marriage, I've thought about this, my previous marriage, um, there's a lot of factors that go into a relationship, but a huge factor was the amount of time that I committed to MMA. I committed my whole life to it. When I decided that it was my thing and martial arts was what I wanted to do and what I wanted my ultimate legacy to be, um, it, it caused strain. I wasn't spending as much time in that relationship. I sacrificed a lot, you know, and it, 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 everything works out in the end and Tish and I have a great relationship, but there's definitely a strain there and there is a sacrifice not only by the athlete, but by any relationship that the athlete has in um, standing by that athlete's side because doing this or any high level sport takes an amount of commitment that a lot of uh, people that I would say, you know, I don't want to put any labels, but the status quo would just simply not tolerate. <laughs> I need me time instead of I need you to find out who you are time. Uh, so shout out to the wives and to the, the husbands that make people capable of doing this stuff. But how did Amy, um, uh, how did Amy play into this for you? Yeah, she was the best cornerman that has never cornered me right. ever. She is always been there and super supportive and understanding and I don't know another human being that would do it because in order to pursue being a world champion you have to be selfish 
there's no other way to do it. There's Correct. no other way for you to be a wee person and be the only person on top of that mountain. I'm, I'm again, it goes back to ego. You have to have this thing inside of you that's just relentless, unstoppable, driven, unrelenting, don't care, and find a way. Because if you don't... Yeah. Somebody is waiting at the gates, just... Believing. They're going to wreck shop. Yeah. Look out. They're coming. Yeah. They are preparing right now. Somebody's preparing right now for their world title shot. Yeah. And, so, and some dominant force that can't be beat. Yeah. There's some other McGregor out there that yep. no one has ever heard of. Yep. There's some other kid right now yep. that is a killer. You remember, uh, and they're all in my gym. No, you remember, uh, <laughs> you remember Aldo. Nobody yeah. could beat Aldo. No. He was untouchable. Yep. Until some guy showed up that believed that he could. And, and, he, and Connor believed so much. This is, this is my theory. Connor believed so much that he would that he actually got in Aldo's head because Aldo recognized it. Aldo saw McGregor. He saw the way he spoke, the way he carried himself, the way he spoke to him. And he went, this guy actually believes he can beat me. And I think that, that little thing is, like you said, what separates a champion into your point. If you want to be a champion, if you want to sit on that lonely throne, um, you either have somebody who's there and they got your back no matter what, 100%, or you're alone. Would you agree with that? 100%. Yeah. Uh, lonely throne is a odd way to think of it, but it's very factual. You're going to be doing a lot of time by yourself. Even though you may have guys in your fight camp, There's, you're never going to have that many people that are doing the road work with you and doing the roll time with you and holding mitts for you and it takes a team to do that so there's just a lot of stuff you got to do on your own and uh when champions are made when no one's looking so in the off season yeah champion you got to go out there and do it when the camera's not on you got to do go out there and do it when the lights aren't on when the arena is empty when there's no glory yeah that is when a champion is made and so at home, you know, you have to have a pillar. You have to have a good network set up to also support you and have paralleling goals. It's an investment, and, and it's a wild investment if you think about, uh, hey, this kid, you know, Amy, thinking about it through Amy's eyes, this guy, and she knew me when I did the boxing match. Did she really? Yeah. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. I believe we were dating at the time. It was around the time I believe we were dating at the time. And for her to think, okay, well, we're going to we're gonna do a fight. And, and I talked about it like that. Like we went and fought because it was like we would prepare. We'd make sure our bags were packed. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you got to make sure logistically, yeah. food, prep, got all your stuff. And make sure there's always... Again, people are calling you. Hey, I don't have my tickets. Again, <laughs> hey, do you know how I get tickets to your fight in three hours? Uh, no, I don't. I'm fighting in a cage in three hours. Yeah. Thanks. You're not my number one priority. Yeah. So it's just nuts, man. Um, again, she would collect all that and she'd handle it. She would just find a way to take that stuff off of my plate, and so we would go and fight. And that's legit. Yeah, it, it, that's. Uh, Hats off to her. Hats off to Tish. Um, two amazing women. Yeah. And uh, and uh, for what it's worth, uh, Michelle d- mm-hmm. put up with a lot of Devin's, Devin's bullshit, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, we have a lot, to, a lot of people to thank, not only our significant others and our wives, but um, just people. People in general that made this thing continue forward and push forward. And now we're, 
we're looking at a place uh, in retrospect, finding it hard to go through all the memories in one podcast because there's so there's so much shit. Um, but uh, you, what's the most redeeming? What are you most happy that you took out of MMA, and, and what do you still have out of MMA that? I mean, you've probably already touched on it a million times with you know the ability to cover you know to recover from and grow from failure. But what's uh, what are some of the hot points that you're happy you? You trained and competed and fought in MMA. Going from that non-positive self-talk, going from when it got really hairy, that's usually when self-sabotage or self-destruction and, uh, you know, if you don't believe in yourself, you're already outmatched. You you know, you're you're already outnumbered. So I, I got some some buddies that do go ruck and uh it's something that kind of interests me but it it's it's hard to be hard and they they just are out there trying to mentally break you and i think i will do that someday but i don't need to prove to myself anymore that i won't quit mm. like it, it's not to me it's i'm gonna be hanging out with my buddies when i eventually do a go ruck it's gonna be because of the bros i'm with right. or the friends yeah. that we're with camaraderie yeah. but it won't be to to show that i have the ability and the mental fortitude and this is not ego. This is truly something that I, mm-hmm. in my soul, understand is, oh, yeah, now what? Like, I mean, like, copy, you're making this hard on me. And I acknowledge that. But we're, there's no quit. Like, yeah, you you're just not have to stop move me. forward. I won't be broken. This is miserable. I understand. And then we're, we just keep going. And then mm-hmm. there's no algorithm in which quitting is an option, in which, um, you know, Oh, I, I, oh, I tweak my knee. Yeah. Well, guess what? You got another leg. Figure <laughs> yeah. it out. Drag yourself. I don't hmm. care. Yeah. I wonder if anybody else has survived tweaking their knee. Yeah. So, um, resilient. I mean, I'm answering it similarly, but it's just knowing that there is some unknown thing in the future that I can't predict. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be against mother nature or another human being. But something's going to happen in my future where it's unknown what the outcome is going to be. It's going to be really hairy. It's going to be sketchy. But we're going to move forward. And that, that was the biggest lesson that I – that there's lessons that you can take away from each hard thing that you do in your life. And then you just apply the seed or the condensed version of that, the success that you found in that, to the next thing. Yeah. I don't compete in MMA anymore. And that was – again, I think that's a whole podcast right there mm-hmm. is – that was my identity for the longest time. Mm-hmm. For the next two years, when people would see me, they would ask when my next fight was. Oh, yeah. And it is hard oh, yeah. to say, and I've still never said that I'm retired. Like, our, that, that's the, you wouldn't, it's, you it's, wouldn't it's, even admit it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I still got uh, one in me. Uh, I believe so, you. So, uh, but it's just, it's tough to say that I don't have anything scheduled right now. And, um, your question before as far as how that process came about was Amy mm-hmm. and she didn't her quote that really there's certain things that just resonate with with me or with other people and we had she was pregnant in our last fight mm-hmm. and after the baby came you know you're kind of like going through things in your mind you're not sure how exactly you're gonna what are you gonna do you know and she said well 
you've always wanted to be a world champion. And I've had goals, and like we would go through the goals checklist. And be like, all right, well, there's one goal left, and it's to be a world champion. I mean, we've – at the time, it was a pretty long list. Yeah. <laughs> we had yeah. chipped away at a lot of things. Yeah. I, uh, so there's one thing left, and it was really hard to walk away from, mm-hmm. um, leaving a box left unchecked and leaving a goal still in the sheet that I still have that is, um, you know, still there. Mm-hmm. But she said, you can – Pursue being a world champion, and I genuinely believe that you can, or you can be a world champion father. And there's no way for you to do both. And it, it was a hard conversation for her to have. Like, I could see that it hurt her to say it. Yeah. But Which it is needed, legit. It needed to happen. Yeah. Because, like, you could have gone on. You know, we could have continued on. But, yeah. It, well, it's true. To it's the true. detriment yeah. of. It's um, true. I mean, what she said was it couldn't get more true. Yeah. And it hurt, right? Yeah. But that's how you know. And I, I talk to people about this all the time. The, the most valued relationships I have and, and trust my life to, they say uncomfortable things. Mm-hmm. They, they say things that I might want to be skirting unintentionally or, un, or uh, unwittingly. They'll bring it right to my attention. Um, and uh, those, those true statements, when you hear them, when you hear those truths, they, they resonate. They, they, you feel the, the genuine nature in them so much that it, that it hurts. And that's how a lot of times I know if I'm getting real feedback is if I'm like, ooh. Like Bo called me out a little, uh, not that long ago on some shit that I just misworded. Good. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, that hurt. Like I was hurt. I was really hurt that he took it the way that he took it. But then when I read back and then talked to a couple people, I'm like, oh, my God, what, what was I thinking? I was such an idiot. But I feel like when people say really honest things like that and give you that feedback that your heart recognizes is unmistakably true, you know, you feel it. You know what I mean? And you're right. I don't think you can do both. You're a world champion in one or you're a world champion in another. And I don't think, this is my opinion, there's no belt or gold you're ever going to put around my waist that's going to make me feel like it was worth risking time with my kids. And I've, I've... lost a lot of time with my kids just through divorce we, we're 50 50 but i still don't get to see my kids as much as I, I do and that shit hurts you know and i have to i have to kind of atone for that uh so how many tell everybody how many babies you got now like 14 or <laughs> <laughs> yeah we got three kids three babies. Uh, nine seven and five years old That's so a good we spread. Are, it's mind-blowing to me to think that nine years old we're, we're nine it seemed like last year that we were preparing for a fight camp. It just, it does. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it goes fast. And there, you can go deep into this conversation too, as far as like when you're done, when to know you're done and when, uh, how to separate yourself, have a new purpose. Mm-hmm. You have to get a new purpose when you transition and, and how important that is. What's and your purpose then? Uh, being a father and, kids yeah and being a father like a hundred years after we're dead our lives will be spoken in one sentence keone coke he was a i don't you know like that's to be determined what a- our asshole. sentence is going to be <laughs> for a long time no. and so yeah. um and i would be saddened if my legacy was only that i was a fighter that, that to me is a shallow legacy. Um, there's something to be said. There's, there's people that love fighting and they're very passionate about it and they love 
the martial arts component of it and how much it teaches and evolves the world, but yet it's just there's black. more there. Yeah, it's just black and white. There's more in, there. In three generations, Anderson Silva is just a guy that was in the early UFC. Nobody knows yeah. who he is. Yep. You know what I mean? And, there's and, always going to be a new McGregor. Yep. And, um, yeah, those those fighters of yesteryear, just the, the light continues to shine with with the future and with the current. Yeah. And it just gets darker on the path. Well, just and it's like a stat, right? But when you affect the positive, when you affect the lives of your children in a positive way, there's untold bounty that results from from that kind of influence because they're going to have kids. They're going to have kids. And like I remember lessons that my grandfather and my grandmother taught me. You know, they've been my grandma's been dead for over twenty years, but she taught me how to tie my shoes. So every <laughs> once in a while, I'm tying my shoes, and I think of grandma, yeah. and I think about the time that we have. And that, to me, you know, not getting into a philosophical debate about afterlife, to me, that's always been afterlife. To me, afterlife has always been, what are you leaving for legacy? And understand that your legacy includes those people in your family that are going to continue to carry whatever legacy forward in whatever way. Whether that's the legacy of an awesome gym that's being passed down generation to generation, or whether that's just how to tie your shoes, a part of you moves forward with your children and investing in them now um, can create who knows what. I mean, you know, the, the people of the future sitting in a podcast and talking might be talking about how your children changed the whole world mm -hmm. because you you made a choice that was hard to make back in the day and you decided what's what's more important, me and this belt, right, that says that I've attained this goal or building literally the future of mankind through the, the positive uh, parenting of my own kids. I, I believe that. I believe that that is the highest order is um, shaping life, shaping and molding uh, principled, uh, caring and kind human beings, you know, and you're doing that. So you're winning. Yeah. It's, there's no, to my knowledge, there's no best dad award and I'm not looking for that. That, that there's no accolades that I'm interested in getting. Yeah. So, uh, but I, Again, how, how, what's the impact that you're leaving on the world? How are you doing that? And right now, I, I genuinely feel like uh, purposeful work is uh, being the catalyst that really makes our kids think. And I, we really talk to them like adults. And we are not raising kids. We're raising future adults. Future adults. And we... Uh, you know, you know it's we, weird. We talk I, about it very, very factually in life, and I, sometimes uh, I need reeled in on that. You know, I've known you for a long time, but just watching uh, your son wrestle <laughs> and watch, and hearing you talk about your dad, it's like it. It's just like it makes perfect sense somehow. You know what I mean? It's it's interesting to see this continuation of what it sounds like is your dad's principles going through you and into into your own children. And uh, it's it's a really cool thing to watch. It's a really cool thing to be a part of. And uh, I appreciate your time, Jesse. I want to wrap up. But uh, first, before we do, I want to talk about um, you're now uh, on the Cedar Rapids Fire Department. Correct. Um, I want to thank you, first of all, because I was I was just watching Netflix last night, and I happened upon a documentary about people that, that fight fire. Um, uh, it's, I think it's centered on, like, California wildfires and stuff. And I got to thinking... I said, I, I made this comment to myself, man, you know, I have a lot of admiration for people that just, you know, they march right into the fire. But when I said that, I was thinking about MMA. <laughs> I was thinking about going, uh, oh yeah, march, we march into the fire yeah. in MMA. We go, we march right into the fire and get in the cage. And then I was like, wait a minute, 
No, we do not. Firefighters march right into the literal fire. Um, that's, uh, to, to me, that's one of the most selfless services that can be provided for uh, the people is somebody willing to literally run into a fire and risk their life. Uh, so I want to thank you for your service that, and I know you're a humble person. You're not going to thank for it because it's just what you love to do. So you, you don't even need to speak we're, on it. We're lucky to do it. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we have a good team and we're, um, we're all humbled by the job. We say it that we, we feel like we win the lottery when we get the job. It's not easy to, no, <laughs> no I was, doubt, dude. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't do it. You know, and well, I, it's not easy to get hired is what I was saying. As far as it, sure. it takes years to get hired, uh, I know the job people, is what you make of it. I know people have tried for years and they they, they didn't get it. So um, it's it's a very rewarding career and there's purpose behind that too. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we don't. It's not something that you, walking into the fire, whatever. It, it doesn't. No, I get it's it. It's a lot more simplistic. Sure. Uh, and and it's again your brothers that your brothers and sisters that you're doing it with and you're doing it for each other. You know that, um, you know, we're gonna go in there, and uh, and so it's. See it's happens. the same thing and so it's you, you do it for each other and that's why uh I, I never compared martial arts or fighting in a cage as to war like that is a Different that is deal. not a comparison i right. mean they're in a cage there is a there's a referee there are rules <laughs> there's a doctor <clears throat> waiting outside even that, in a smoky pool hall in blairstown in yeah. 2002 it still ain't war yeah so call um, it whatever you it want is, but it ain't war if you want to give out respects um yeah uh, you know what those. um respect to anybody that will put themselves out on the line for their what they believe is good and right um but firefighters i think uh you know in this Anybody that does this thing typically doesn't do it for just glory or for glory at all. They do it because they love it. They believe in it. It's work that is fulfilling. Um, it has purpose. But uh, the camaraderie and brotherhood that we got from martial arts, I, as, as soon as I hear soldiers talk, yeah. I go, dude. I, Uncomparable. Yeah, I don't even know. How, like I get some kind of understanding of that camaraderie because we've we've bled together because of like cut eyes and shit right but but yeah. you've lost on american soil right uh, where we could just drive right without getting shot at right exactly to the hospital um yes. whereas you experience something completely different and completely more uh profound and and you lost more potentially you sacrificed much more than than i did being in war being in this place so i have a, a real respect for any kind of camaraderie that is built upon um, failure, anguish, pain, and eventual uh, ascension and growth and rebirth. So, um, Jesse, thank you. We could go on and on. I feel like we could talk for hours. Um, do you got I got any... a question for you. Yeah, go ahead, please. Right. So, see, you... I, I looked. I see you looked down there like you had something. Yeah, I wanted to uh, make sure I had myself squared away. Yeah. But uh, so, as a coach, like you have, you've built this, and there's been so many. It can't be a coincidence that you've had so many athletes come through this camp in this gym that have been so resilient. Like, again, uh, unbreakable. Like, you can send them in there and you just know that you're going to get your best out of them. What is your way to take somebody that's breakable and turn them into Eric Koch? Like, how do you get somebody to that point that you know you can send them in there 
and you know what's going to happen. You, you can just the, the cage is going to shut, and you can trust them. Um, how do I shape somebody? How do I yeah, take do somebody you, there? How do you take somebody that's fragile and make them unbreakable? Um, uh, I think that, that teaching them, I, th- I think ultimately it's love. Uh, I think, and let me explain how that is. I think it's, I think anybody you're willing to suffer with and lose with and lose from and lose by uh, and grow with uh, is somebody that you love and care about. And I think the aggregation of uh, small gains, teaching somebody something small, watching them do it correctly or watching them fail and and, uh, helping them slowly advance. Uh, I think that... It's a really, really interesting question. I've never really thought about it in that context, but I think that just investing in people, just investing time in people and being there when you're supposed to be and then being there sometimes when you're not supposed to be. Like when uh, we would get off with the second shift uh, and be done at about 9.30. Well, there are some times when you couldn't get there at 9.30. You mm-hmm. had some uh, schedule conflict and you get there like 10.30. Um, I don't know a time that I turned you away. But I know a few times that you showed up after I had trained with the other guys and went, hey, this and this is you. I remember you standing on my doorstep. Hey, look, I totally understand if you don't want to do anything else. And it was always like, no, man, you came here. You showed up. I, want, I don't want you to come all the way here for nothing. I want you to get your work in. Um, that uh, commitment, just love and, and being able to invest time in people regardless. Uh, I think when they go out into the cage and you've, you've made that investment in them and you, you care about them and they know that you care about them, they'll fight to the death, you know, um, oftentimes, not everybody, but if you have a tight enough brotherhood uh, and you've committed enough time and enough caring to them and shown them that you really do care, not, hey, I'm a boxing coach, you want to go try and win us a, a, a team medal, but I'm going to be in the trenches. When you lose, I'm going to be down there holding your head up and putting ice on it because I care about you. I don't care about whether you win. I don't care about whether you lose. I care about you, and that's it. People that feel that, that walk into the cage, that they have a team behind them and with them no matter what, will march to the end of the earth for those guys. You know, And I don't think that's limited to MMA. I think that's in any kind of brotherhood or sisterhood or uh, fellowship where people show that they actually love and care about each other. I think that's really what it, what it ultimately comes down to. Is there a million little things that I try to be analytical? I'm, I'm not a good coach. I'm not a good coach. Um, I've gotten better, right? But if you compare me to, uh, you know, a Duke Rufus or a Pat Miletic or somebody like that, these are guys that were trained classically and they were trained uh, in world-class gyms for years and years and years and years and years and they broke it down uh, and they also were coached. That's really important. I was never coached. I was a guy that was, uh, I was an insecure boy that wanted to learn how to defend himself. So I taught myself martial arts because I was lucky enough to be, to have a dad that told me about Bruce Lee. And I researched Bruce Lee and I read his books and I adopted his philosophy. It made perfect sense. You can't have one style. You have to have them all. And uh, I, I started accumulating this, inf- this information because I felt insecure. You know, I felt like I was vulnerable. I felt like if I got in a fight, somebody's going to whoop my ass. And they probably would have. So I started teaching myself this stuff. And it just so happened that the passion that I had for martial arts and the strength that it gave me from what I was, uh, I happened to be in the right place at the right time. I saw UFC right when it came out and uh, started training these moves. And 
when I when I put the team together, when I tried to train originally, I did it out of selfish reasons. I just wanted to get better, you know. And if if somebody got better with me, great. But I wasn't looking for a team. I didn't even know what a team was. You know, I'd never played any sports. I was always way too intimidated to do any of that shit. So um, when I got people to train with me and I got people to sacrifice and I got people to do this, I got very, very close to these gentlemen. And I, um, like I said, I won with them and I lost with them. But I, I never looked at myself as a good coach. I looked at myself as a coach. I looked at myself as somebody who had some credible, pertinent information. Um, but when we were training and, and fighting, I never said, everybody must bow to me. I went, Jesse's wrestling coach, Eric teaches kicks. You know what I mean? I'll teach you guys submission and what I know about rudimentary striking. Everybody brought their own little piece of the pie to the puzzle. I was just there. I was just there in the beginning. I just was there the longest amount of time. And so by default had this um, position where people looked up to me for advice. But uh, the coach, and I don't want to be long-winded. I know you're picking me apart with what I'm saying right now. <laughs> um, I, I really, truly don't think that I've been a good coach until just recently after years and years and years of actively pouring myself into coaching. I think that the process of mastery for anything is almost measurable. And uh, seven to ten years of consistent uh, push-in or apprenticeship, basically, an apprenticeship period. I feel like the, the process of mastery for coaching takes a similar amount of time in a separate amount of time. I think to, to become a coach that can teach somebody like the white belts I have now that roll like the purple belts that I used to have you know, years ago, uh, it just takes time and development. And I think up until about five or six years ago, I think I was a mediocre coach. Well, I disagree with you. I think you're, I, well, I thought that. and think you're a great coach. Um, you talked about, and this kind of sparked a, a conversation we've had in the past that I don't know if we've ever talked about is, uh, Sometimes you have to be there for somebody, and sometimes you have to not be there. Yeah, yeah, I think we have talked. Yeah, I remember you talking to me about this. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was having a hard time in Davenport. I'd moved there, and um, I remember was just getting crushed in um, in the gym every day, and so good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so it was uh, it was right after Valentine's Day, so I I believe it was uh, February fifteenth. I was driving home and gave you a call. And I was and, driving to Lamont. Okay. So you do remember this. Yep. Um, I essentially asked to come home and was hoping that you would welcome me with open arms and be like, all right, you got whooped on. Come on back. We'll, we'll reconvene and uh, we're going to move on from here. It's just going to be like the old days. You told me that this is not why you moved to Davenport and to not come home. You didn't hang up on me, but the conversation was over at that point. Well, and you were pretty much done talking to me. And, you know, it wasn't rude. It wasn't condescending. It wasn't with a tone. Like you just, you're, you're not coming home. I I remember that conversation starkly differently than you do. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is this is what I remember, and we this might be a different conversation. I, you know, I've had some things knocked out of the old noggin since then. But I remember you um, calling me, and, and this is the conversation that I'm thinking of. And going, um, you know, uh, look, I don't want to offend my team, my original guys. I'm training in Davenport now, and I, you know, I don't want people to think that like I'm not part of hybrid or hard drive anymore. I love you guys, and this and that. And I remember saying one thing to you that you seemed to resonate with. 
uh, or you seem to, to catch and it seemed to put you at a little bit of peace during this conversation. And, and what I told you was every man has to write his own book. And if this is what meant you needed to get the goals that you needed to get, because you weren't getting the, the five days a week that you wanted, that you knew that it took to be a champion. You got to mm-hmm. train every day. We knew because I told you guys this and we had kind of came to a consensus on this that if you weren't doing it, they were doing it. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to be a champ, you had to go the extra mile. You got to do be willing to go the places other people weren't. And if you were only getting the two to three days of training and or limited amounts of training, every every man writes his own book. I'm not going to hold it against you. You're you're going after your goals, and uh, you know I was never going to close the doors to my friend and my training partner and my teammate. Um, but uh, that's what I remember. I don't remember being short and curt, but I've always tried to be very honest. I'm not saying that. There, there's a time that people need to grow mm-hmm. and sometimes they need pressure to grow and so I needed to stay in the pressure cooker um, that's interesting so uh, is there any regret in going to, to Militich not because uh, you know of any training reason but was is do you ever you don't seem like the type of person that would do this, but do you ever run back and go, what if I wouldn't have done that? What if I would have stayed here? What what would have happened, if anything? Does that ever kind of register with you? You seem more like a, nope, moving forward type of person. But does that yeah. ever come up? No, I've thought of that for sure. Have you? Uh, I, don't, I don't stay there for long. Yeah. It's not productive. Yeah, it's not. But um, Duke had a great camp. And I, mm-hmm. I that was my void was uh more the striking side of it and uh at the time there's no doubting it militich was the mecca and duke hadn't quite built his empire yet Mm -hmm. and then when i was done fighting um the militich gym was starting to disband Mm -hmm. it was no longer and duke was ramping up yeah and so it had been talked about that if I was going to continue to fight, that we were going to go to Milwaukee. Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, would it be possible to... I, I do think that moving to Davenport then was the right move. Mm-hmm. It was hard to make as far as, again, these were my brothers that I was leaving from Cedar Rapids to go there. And that yeah. there was... It was hard to do mm-hmm. in so many ways. and People never understand that unless they've been in those shoes before you know it's it's a tough thing because you're battling with yourself internally about what do they expect what do they you know yeah yeah um yeah scherzer was a big driving force in that and again that's something we can talk about more and uh letting me know that it's okay you gotta go Mm -hmm. and um yeah but yeah duke hats off to him that he's got so many great things going now then yeah, and, and it's uh, been a slow burn. Like, he's slowly built that up over time yes. and built a really good culture in the gym. And Yes. Um, we know that culture is everything. This There's been times during Hard Drive's history where I naively made mistakes and allowed, uh, you know, they, people throw around the word toxic. But there's all there are toxic elements that um, can kind of sow the seeds of um, – nastiness i guess into the culture of any gym or anything anywhere and that's happened in the past and uh duke has done a exceptional job of making sure to lead from the front and making sure there's none of that bullshit in his gym it's always positive it's always productive all the time not easy right but always positive always productive pick you up when you fall and that's that's really what's great about this sport i think is 
if you if you find the right if you find the right place to train, and it's hard to find the wrong place to train, um, it'll give you something. It'll give you something profound. And um, if if all we did was train in that basement for you know what 18, 24 months or whatever it was, five, six, seven days a week for a couple years, and then everybody would have disbanded. I still would have learned a shitload about myself from the time that we spent in that in that box, yeah. in that sweat kitchen. <laughs> um, but uh, you got any more questions for me, or what's going? You're gonna start uh, your own podcast? No, I think uh, <laughs> I think there's. Uh, I hope there is a uh, round two someday, and I hope yeah. we get the whole crew together. And yeah. I think I think I'm gonna uh, save a lot of those for later cool. so i don't want well in, i don't want to steal your show and i don't want to uh take away your thunder no, and, uh, I, I but want to, there's a lot of things it. that i'm interested about as far as um psychologically there's a ton of struggle that you've gone through with this gym mm-hmm. uh, you can say <laughs> that in in a very it, it's a quick sentence to say and it doesn't even wrap up all the emotion no, that's gone into it the legal battles the, so um <laughs> yeah there no, we'll, we'll have un- you on again for sure. Yeah, unbelievable resilience inside of that. And that, again, is a slow burn. Like, there is, it's hot and it's cold, but you got to maintain the temperature yeah. on your own. In anything great that anybody accomplishes in life, there's times, like on that phone call maybe that you called me, where I'm like, really? Am I going to still do this? <laughs> After all these years, I'm yeah. still trying. I''m still trying. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a... a there's something to be said there and there's many conversations that we'll have in the, we'll have in the future. We're going to do the round table, hopefully in this room, um, we'll get all the guys together and, uh, I don't even have a format for that, but I'd like to actually go into, to have different, uh, you know, uh, segments of the show. We might release it as a three piece, but I definitely want to have a list of the fights that we, <laughs> that we had when we were uh, together in the, in the basement in hybrid faction. And I want to go through some of the more memorable ones because, like you said, it very hard in an hour and a half to get all of this, to encompass this whole experience. But we can get some similarities built, and then we can come back and kind of reminisce on some of the just ridiculous shit that we confronted. Yeah. And what I've noticed talking to Bo and Debo and Eric is, I forget a lot, you forget a lot, yeah. they forget a lot, but it's still in there. It's still in the communal conscious. So when people come up, when Devin's like, hey, remember those mirrors that you had in your basement? And they would like sweat and you couldn't even see anything. And I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, it was disgusting downstairs. Um, I think a lot of those things, we, we all get together is gonna be brought up. So that's cool. But I'm not opposed to just having you on again, talking about psych, psychology, um, whatever. That's really what I want this show to do is kind of open people's minds and offer people that listen the perspective of people that they might not see as like them, but actually, we are there's mm-hmm. there's a lot that we have in common with pretty much everybody so agreed um jesse thank you very much brother i appreciate it i've thank been trying to get you on this thing and we shotgun style it i changed the venue like 30 40 <laughs> minutes before we started this so i thank you we're gonna set find, a way. find a way find the a pod- way this podcast is uh what hybrid faction represented it, it, it took a year for me to put together but we took nothing and we're making something yeah. so Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you, Jesse, and we'll talk again soon, brother. Thank you. This podcast is made possible by Gail and Douglas Koch and the Family Hard Drive. Music courtesy of Mike Chino.